Broadcasting live from Godwick, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Boy. <laughs> boy Strother. Boy Strother. Perfect. Uh, Dr. Boy Movies. We're adding to the nickname. We haven't brought that up in a while. Well, we, of course, as you've already put together from, <laughs> from our emphasis on boy. From our rambling. Talking about... God of War 4 slash God of War 2018, the PlayStation 4 classic, modern classic. Modern classic? Yeah, maybe. Was the reboot uh, of the franchise, but also was a continuation of the originals. We are doing that because God of War Ragnarok, its direct sequel, is hitting, is dropping this week. I've already got my pre-order locked and loaded. I am so excited to, to pick back up with Kratos and boy. Oh. But first, we got some news. Starting off with the news that Westworld has been canceled before their fifth and final season has hit HBO. And that is... You know, we uh, didn't plan this, but I just realized, Seamus, that this is probably Oh a- my god. <laughs> Order warning! <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. I can still it's blaring right now. That is... <laughs> Somehow, I that almost escaped me, but the Warder Warning gets everyone. No one is safe from the Warder Warning. Uh, there's a big red button that says <laughs> Warner Warning on my desk next to my mic, and the longer we go without pressing it, the bigger the button gets. <laughs> oh, God. We have to quell the button. <laughs> but this is... This is Kind of crazy news. I know people really like Westworld. That was a pretty popular show. Did you ever get into Westworld, Garrett? I watched season one. I thought that it was fine, but it was definitely not enough to get me to go back for season two. I like the cast of Westworld a lot. That's my big takeaway from Westworld. I think the writing is pretty sophomoric. Mm. Um, Aaron Paul joins in later seasons, which I would like to maybe someday endeavor to get to, but with this cancellation, I don't know if it's going to be worth it for me, to be honest. Yeah, that's going to be... Yeah, no no resolution at all. That's going to be pretty pretty lame. This was the fifth and final season to begin with, so they were probably setting up a whole bunch of finale-style things that will just never be resolved now, and that is that is just a shame, I think. Ed Harris is there, right? Isn't Ed Harris, like, one of the main guys? Ed Harris is one of the main guys, at least in the season that I watched. Mm. I don't know if he sticks around the whole time. But yeah, Jimmy Simpson, Evan Rachel Wood, oh. Tandy Newton, Jeffrey Wright, Anthony Hopkins is in the first season, at least. I doubt he stuck around this long. But, <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good cast, and it's an interesting concept that I enjoyed, but... Oh, James Marsden. How can I forget? Oh, I, no kidding. I, I'm so sorry. My, <laughs> Dude, my you sweet are, you, boy. You will have to repent, but I'll forgive you for now. It's a cool concept. Michael Crichton wrote and directed the original movie with Ewell Brenner back in the 70s, which I've never seen and probably should. I didn't even know it was based on a movie from the 70s. Yeah, and, my, and like Michael Crichton, I think that's the only movie he ever directed, maybe? Because he's an author, obviously. Jurassic Park, Andromeda Strain, all that stuff. Well, Honestly, I would much rather watch the movie at this point than than start four seasons of a show that'll never get finished. But if you look at, I just was reading about this, the decline in viewership over the four seasons and how abysmal the viewership was for season four. I don't think this is entirely a surprise, but at the same time, I think it just speaks to the overall thought process over at Warner Brothers Discovery right now, which is if it's not making money immediately, we just need to cut it off. Yeah, axe it, take it out. 
no more. Yeah, that's that's not a great trend. I don't want to see that continue with other things. Because, I mean, even if viewership was declining, that is something that, I mean, I would have probably popped over to Westworld before, like, going to Game of Thrones or even the new Game of Thrones uh, House of the Dragon. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I, I The concept always intrigued me, but now it just feels like I it wouldn't be entirely worth it ever. But also coming to HBO, actually, so th- this isn't really part of the warning warning, I don't think. But wait, 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 you <laughs> know, little warning warning. It's all in the umbrella. It's a small, it's a baby one. It's a little, it's a, it's a small one, you know? <laughs> It's when you're in the the dream level that's the farthest <laughs> down and you don't really hear the music anymore. It's you're, just kind of like You're six vague. layers removed from Hans Zimmer. He's just far enough away where it's just a whisper of a boy. But The Last of Us television series with Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey will be premiering on HBO January 15th, which also means that that, that Sunday, January 15th, is when we will be covering The Last of Us video game which means that, like Sisyphus before me, I have started (laughs) once again playing The Last of Us. I have played that heart-wrenching prologue so many times. What are you doing to yourself, man? Jesus. uh, I will finish it this time. It's working a lot better for me this time, I'll say that, and probably some of that's the fact that I'm playing the remastered version for PS4, which is part of the PS Plus collection, Mm. on my PS5. So, you know, the controls are a little bit smoother, the graphics. Not that Last of Us on the PS3 doesn't look great, but that remaster is just the extra oomph it needs. I feel like I don't need to spend seven dollars to play play the part one the one that looks the same as the remaster <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i i am hoping that you can make it through i will say you are far from the last gut-wrenching scene in this game and i know you know that uh, i do indeed i i wish you all the luck i played it again not too long ago i'm very excited i'm more excited for the show than i have been in a while i'm the the january 15th dead of terrible bitter winter times it's gonna be perfect to watch just the worst survival brutality in the cold. I'm I'm excited for it more than I thought I would be, and I hope that this show doesn't get canceled before it can make its full run in the story it's telling. Anyway, this is actually kind of a, a neat little... We did a good job sorting these because we went from HBO News to HBO PlayStation News, and now we're going into PlayStation News before we go into our PlayStation main segment. Wow, we're doing it, man. We're synergizing. Because... PSVR 2 has its official price point of $550 and will be launching in February 2023. That is $150 more than I wanted to pay for PlayStation VR 2, Seamus. Yeah, that's a lot of money, man. I mean, I want it real, real bad, but it's straight up more money than a PS5 at this point. And I mean, it, that, that means it's got to be amazing, right? It's got to be so good. I'm going to wait for reviews. I'm going to see what kind of games there are available because that my big concern is spending $550 on a VR system that just doesn't have the game support of similar priced mm. VR systems, you know? I I think this I mean at least this is my theory is that is that this is the, a little bit of the turning point for more major VR things to be able to be played on a PlayStation. I think like hardware restrictions were a part of why we haven't gotten things like, you know, that Half-Life VR game. I'm sure that's other licensing things with Steam and all that. I was going to say, the, the, the one Steam Valve <laughs> PC game, is all, that what you're going to pull I, out all, right now? All of the 
Half-Life and Portal references I've just been sifting through in the Death Stranding director's cut recently gives me hope, man. There's Half-Life Alex VR references directly in that game. But I don't know. I, well, I've seen footage yeah. of Resident Evil Village on the PSVR 2. They did a little uh, showcase of that in the last Resident Evil showcase a little while ago, and it looks amazing it looks incredible it's like fully freehand dual wielding pistols against zombie vampire chicks it it looks like it's gonna be a crazy upgrade and i'm i think it's probably gonna be the threshold like i said of getting those higher end vr games i hope so because i really do i don't have a pc that's gonna support a VR thing. Oh, me And I don't know if I want to invest in the infrastructure of getting a freestanding VR thing, but the idea of having a, a VR that hooks up to my PlayStation, especially if it's as simple and robust as PlayStation is hyping it up to be, I am very interested, even at that admittedly very hefty price point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me, me too, me too. As somebody who's had the first generation of the PSVR for a while now, and it is still very fun and, and very innovative. It's in dire need of that upgrade, I think. It is, even the hardware itself is incredibly physically clunky to organize and use. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the future. But are you ready for the God of War Norse pantheon? For the boy. For the I boy. Think, I think I am. Let's do it. Let's get into the main segment. Let's hear it for the boy. Oh, <laughs> that's very good. That's good. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about God of War 2018, or God of War 4, I think depending on what part of the world you're from, or what kind of purist you are, or what kind of (laughs) canon scholar you are for the God of War franchise. But for me, this is the only God of War game that I have played. It was my entry point into the franchise. I had a vague awareness of it, and I think just starting right off the bat that as somebody who has only played this, it is more than enough context and story and Mm. gameplay for me to fully immerse myself in i am definitely interested in playing those older hack and slash ones which seamus i know that you've been making your way through so i'd love to hear your thoughts on how this fits into the franchise right up top i i really really enjoy playing it it is gameplay wise one of the smoothest and most enjoyable combat experiences that i've played on modern consoles i i have i just completed every Every main console hack and slash one, like you said, I, I I somehow caught up before we're doing this episode. And well, it has its own charm, and it's it's very easy to <laughs> get stuck in those old hack and slash controls and and that kind of rhythm to things. This God of War 2018 is just such a a marvel of gameplay and like you were saying the story itself even having caught up with everything in the in the franchise that i needed to lore wise it's such a generous entry point for for that lore that you really you can get the periphery you can pick up on the context of enough things if you just kind of generally know who kratos was or like kind of the idea of where he's from and i i think that it was a marvelously done reboot legacy sequel whatever the hell it is and i'm super excited for that new one coming out in just a couple days my argument has often been that stories inherently usually have about 
background. Like, a character doesn't just appear out of nowhere. And learning about that character's background, engaging with them, especially when they're in a new setting, in a new environment, with new characters that might not have the familiarity with where they came from or what happened before, when that's a part of storytelling, I think it makes sense to enter at this point. And I think the developers and Corey Barlog, the, the director of this game, definitely had that kind of storytelling in mind. Because this has the structure almost of like a Western in that way. It yeah. feels like an Unforgiven or something like that, where there's a there's a character who's done bad things in the past and has turned a new leaf, but then that past in some capacity is coming back to haunt. Like a John Wick, you know, so much happened. We said that in our intro, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So much happened to John Wick before the first John Wick, and it's not like there were four John Wick movies. And this is not discounting playing the games for me. This is not trying to knock or excuse myself for not playing those early God of War games. I'm just saying there is a history in storytelling of entering at a, at a story that's very much at the point that this God of War game is, as opposed to something like Uncharted 4, which I would never think of ever recommending somebody jump in on Uncharted 4 as their first Uncharted experience. Yeah, and I think the fact that they're, even as somebody who played all of these games in such a rapid pace and keeping up with exactly the mainline story that is being told, there is such a massive gap in what happens between the end of God of War 3 and what happens, even the gap of what happens between the end of God of War 3 and what happens between and the start of God of War 2018. It's so, and I have a feeling they're going to really delve into that in the new one, which will, you know, really catch everybody up, but it's very well written, the mystery of all of it, even if you are caught up and clamoring for those details, you don't necessarily need them to fully enjoy what this story is, and the the focus on the relationship between Kratos and Atreus, obviously the biggest narrative element in this game, more or less, it's beautiful. It is, like, genuinely emotionally, perfectly well written. I Even if you don't have the context of Kratos as a family man quote-unquote in the past, it, it, it is it is so well done. I've made this claim personally to you before, and I want to preface it by saying that I am not the most experienced gamer in the world by any means, but I think in terms of a balance between really satisfying narrative and character work and complex, engaging, but still fun gameplay, God of War 2018 is the best video game I have ever played. That is a completely fair statement. It, the balance is impeccable between the puzzles, the environmental things you need to figure out, the God of War, the early ones had just like an infamous level of backtracking and of like monotonous like item collecting, like oh if you missed this one thing in this one area and you have to go all the way back to this temple that you left like a half an hour ago or whatever. It it can turn into a slog, but God of War 2018 is like very seamless in its level design and its combat encounters that even in, I was thinking about Uncharted and like sometimes you just get, in the early Uncharted, you just get three too many waves of random enemies that are shooting at you and you're just like, okay, we could wrap this up. But I'm very genuinely excited when I stumble into a random encounter in God of War. It's, it's genuinely very pleasing to play. I think that the level design which you brought up is is just a revelation in this game because it's not an open world but it is an open game. It's basically that yeah. you have oh, it's, yeah. 
the the Lake of Nine, which you get to pretty early in the game, so I don't feel like this is a spoiler, essentially functions li- like a cantina in a Lego Star Wars yeah. game or something. It's like a, where, hub, a hub world. Yeah, it's exactly that, where whatever direction you go, whatever river or, or cave or trail that you take will lead you to a very linear, very easy-to-follow, quest-driven, mission-driven level, where once you're completing it, you're not going to be doing a bunch of backtracking all the way back through the level to get back to the Lake of Nine. And there are two ways that they Mm. accomplish that. One, often the places where you're going kind of loop back around and give you a new access point out of where you were that you didn't have previously or didn't know was there previously. Or they also introduce a fast travel system pretty early in the game that only allows you to directly go back to the Lake of Nine and not travel anywhere else in the game. Yeah, it is... It t- I even exploring that Lake of Nine area and and just e- even in the early game I wasn't I was still kind of figuring out the feel of it I wasn't sure if that's really what it was but it you're right that those little loop dungeons that lead you right back to your quest giver or or whoever you're doing your favors for it's it's just it's not like a gimme per se it's not it's not making it like super easy like oh you did your thing now you're instantly back to doing whatever it just feels like a naturally winding whatever cave trail forest it it feels just like a lot of care was given to not make things feel monotonous and boring or backtracky like i said like those other ones they didn't they didn't give a damn you were you were walking all the way back through 10 different areas that you've already cleared and and that's that but this this just feels so nice and like you were saying the exploration in the lake of nine there's so much that is rewarding about exploration in this game that is not in any way necessary to go through mm. the main story. You can just yeah, you can do go the main story, go exactly the right to the dock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it really feels like a big world that has been lived in and is there for you to explore. And this is one of the games that is the most enjoyable, I think, of after you've finished the mainline story, just sitting there and playing the rest of that. Everything else that they've got left over for you. Yeah, continuing to explore and stumbling on missions and quests you didn't even realize were unlocked or in an area or whatever finding different beings to interact with it is i'm i'm very excited once i finally wrap up the full story myself i i can't wait to go paddling around just fully exploring i tossing my axe to the horizon and not recalling it until i get into a fight is is just what i want to do <laughs> that, that's what i've been doing this whole time just for my own personal fun and and that's what i want to do all day on the lake of none and there's definitely stuff that happens that we will talk about more in spoilers about how they build up that end game that post game session that you have where there's so much more to explore and they set up and make it very clear what is going to happen Mm. once the mainline story ends there's not a lot of weird backdoor pilot missions in the main (laughs) game where you're like oh if you liked that you could do a bunch more of it uh, in the side quests that you could go do you know (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's Nice, it does because I'm having memories of like Horizon Zero Dawn, where that was a lot of it. You know that that that's like the opposite of what the gameplay of God of War is. I feel like I think comparing God of War and Horizon is so interesting because 
fundamentally they are doing very similar things and i think all of the rpg elements and all of the Mm -hmm. traversal and backtracking and open worldness of horizon zero dawn make it so much more insufferable to me And there's just so much, there's so much more elegance in God of War's presentation as a whole, from the character, to the story, to the interactions that you have, but I think overall, even though Horizon's gameplay and combat is very fun, you get so bogged down in not knowing where to go, or these random encounters, or having to traverse for minutes on end across the map, whereas God of War... Yeah, seriously. Honestly, one of the great pleasures to me is that they make traversal incredibly enjoyable by putting you with these characters that you are going to interact with throughout the whole game as you're paddling around or walking around. And those are like the nice character moments that you get kind of like taking what Uncharted does with people like Elena and Sully and amplifying that to be the main story. It's not just like a nice way to pass time as you're walking through the jungle. Mm. It is everything that the story is centered around is in that traversal. Yeah, seriously. I I don't even have to ask you if you have taken the long way paddling the canoe to hear more of conversations. You don't want to cut off any of the talk that goes on when you're just in the world, inhabiting the space, and kind of just, you know, point A to point B, they make it so enjoyable, like you're saying. I It's it's unlike a lot of games that I can think of, at, at the very least. I'm, I love the dynamics between, I mean, not only Kratos and his son, but I another another specific character that i don't know if i can mention that joins you for most of your journey uh i do here let's talk a little bit more gameplay before we move into spoilers because i want to know your thoughts on the rpg elements of this game the armor the upgrades the the Mm -hmm. axes the chests brock and sindri Yes, I, I I feel like I like the weapon upgrading and uh, the RPG skill tree stuff a lot more than I like the armor upgrade, like finding new armor, crafting new armor. I always feel like in games that have that kind of element, I feel like I get very distracted and I get bogged down, I feel like, in the levels of my gear i always want those those purple legendaries and those gold or gold legendaries whatever they are i i do like that they make it easier to just kind of find a lot of new stuff they don't they don't make you run around too much you can you can explore the nooks and crannies and find pretty decent gear along the way but i'm i feel like i'm gonna go crazy trying to collect materials to upgrade my armor and stuff and it's not like a lot of rpg armor systems where if you want your gauntlets to be maximized and like really actually useful you also need to find the helmet and the chest plate that goes with them and you are completely free to customize whatever you need to customize in terms of having different things on different parts of your body that aren't necessarily a matching set and the way i play it is i agree with you the in terms of weapon upgrades in terms of the skill tree i'm definitely paying a lot of attention to thinking Mm -hmm, about that a mm -hmm. lot but when i'm playing god of war it's usually just like oh i've got 
got a purple thing, great. Yes. Like that's what <laughs> yes, I'm using. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. And and all of the yellow things are completely interchangeable to me or whatever. You know, it's just a bra- I don't remember what the color system is right now off the top of my head, but it's very much a as long as you're skilled at playing the game, the armor that you're using can help you a lot and you can rely on it, or you can just play the game. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. That that's one thing about the old God of Wars that I liked is that the whole upgrade system was purely focused on how much damage you can do and how many new attacks that you could get in and it was basically you can block or you can get hit and take just the damage that you take and that that was a kind of a freeing thing but I, I don't mind it too too much in God of War 2018 though I'm, I'm sure once I find like the one or a couple pieces of armor that I'll never have to think about again I'll just throw those on and you know do whatever I love the upgrade attack system in this game oh yes yeah like the because- slot attacks almost yeah. you like pick your your favorite your most damage doing I, I i think that's a lot of fun to try out so many different tactics and it's so easy then because you don't have to remember what million button combo you have to put in to get this specific attack yeah hold yeah. this button and then you hold this button and it does the attack for you. And so and there are combos. There's like once you come out of a swing, if you hold this button while you're recalling your axe or whatever, then it'll do this. And there is some stuff to remember like that, but it's not aggravating to yeah, try for, to remember everything. For special moves, aerial attacks, things that are a little more you know, re- the recharge time things. I, I, I like exactly. that the simplicity of it is just making sure that you can get in, you know, in range and making sure you can get it in time. And the raging, I think that's back from previous games, right? Yes, that is a staple of the series. He's he's had Spartan Rage, Rage of the Gods, Rage of the Titans. He always has some kind of different berserk mode that he just turns into a monster. I think that's a very satisfying oh, thing. Yeah. When you get that meter up and you're in a room Ooh. full of enemies and you, you just jump from one to another blasting them oh it's very that is very satisfying i agree it's like you turn yourself into a projectile almost because you'll hit r2 (laughs) and you'll be 10 feet from a guy and then you'll just like superman flying (laughs) punch into him yeah fist magnet to jaw of draugr to just absolutely obliterate it's so satisfying. I think that is the thing that this gameplay in terms of combat is so well balanced where it is hard at the beginning and you'll run into these characters early, that you're not supposed to find a little early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll just get wiped. Oh yeah, you'll, one you know, shot. The seconds they appear, yeah. Accidentally waste a revival stone because you hit a button too fast. <laughs> and you just and get then, yeah, one shot immediately again. Oh. The, the shame I felt. When you come back, though, later when you've upgraded your weapons and upgraded your armor and you've got Atreus's ways of helping you that, yes. you that you've unlocked, and then you just go to town on him, that is the most satisfying thing in the world. It makes you feel like a god. It really does. It, it is so brutal. The, the axe swings, the axe like connecting with these enemies is is just truly a sad like the leviathan axe the the main weapon that you have throughout this game it's like through one game it's become an iconic piece of god of war everything it's like almost as iconic as the chains of chaos at this point and there are three weapons that you use in this or there are three weapon styles essentially that you can use in this game there are multiple weapons that you can use up close as essentially melee weapons there is the rage mode where you're using your fists 
and then there is a long range attack that you can do with the axe where you can recall and all three of those are completely valid ways to play this game there's not i mean there are specific bosses or specific types of enemies where you need to use one weapon over another or one tactic does work better but i like how versatile the game allows you to be in choosing your playstyle, because I'm definitely one where I like to hang back and throw the axe and let Atreus get some arrows in and oh, then yeah. recall, and then just kind of do crowd control if anybody comes up near me. But also, it would be so easy to just do the opposite and just run around and just just embedding your axe into <laughs> into into the sternums of all of your enemies up close and personal. Oh yeah, my playstyle, if you will, just getting blood soaked and. Getting as many R3 finisher moves as I can. That's my that's my bread and butter right there. Let's talk about Brock and Sindri maybe a little bit, or is it spoiler time already? I mean, Brock and Sindri might be part of the spoiler time. All right, official so. threshold spoiler warning for God of War 2018. I love Brock and Sindri. I think their relationship is is incredible, and I want them in every game going forward I, I i don't know how many more games out of this series we're getting because of how this game wraps up and the things that it teases in the new yeah. one but i mean brock and Sindri could stick around i don't know i have kind of wondered if you know if kratos does die in ragnarok which and neither of us have played it yet and i'm sure there are spoilers out there floating around that we don't know could they do another one where Atreus is the lead? You know, what's going to... What? Yeah, I, that's what I feel like is maybe getting geared up here, but I don't know how that would work. But yeah, Brock and Sindri uh, are wonderful. Are you a Brock or a Sindri boy? I'm a, I'm a Sindri. Wait, that's the non-blue folk, boy. right? Yes. Yeah, he, yeah the, the idea of a dwarven weaponsmith that has complete germophobia is is incredible to me also the small talk the optional dialogue that you can hear of him explaining that freya was like there's these microscopic organisms that make you sick if you don't wash your hands i thought was absolutely <laughs> delightful i also love his i mean both of them have really entertaining relationships with atreus but i think Sindri specifically is so kind <laughs> yeah. to Atreus, and Atreus sees him almost as this kind of oddity, and I really like that dynamic. But there's also this very mysterious past relationship with his mother that they have with her, and mm -hmm. it's it's almost like a weird uncle, kind of, where he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. he's real sad about mom's death, but like he's also just a bizarre man. I love that moment where... Brock tells you that he made the Leviathan Axe, and you learn more about its history and that it was your wife's. And yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the whole game, obviously, is carrying her ashes up to the top of the mountain. We haven't even talked about that yet. But you're also carrying her axe, the thing that is getting you there, just like all the markings that she's mm. left all over the realms for you. The thing that's getting you there, the axe, the tool that you need to solve these puzzles, to defeat these enemies, is hers as well. I mean, the entire orchestration of this adventure is her doing, you know? At the very beginning, she marks the special trees in their secluded forest that she wants to be cut down for her funeral pyre, and that forces Kratos to face his son, I guess? It forces him mm -hmm. to become the father that she knows that he can be, and forge the relationship that ultimately makes this game one of the most beautiful 
father-son, parent-child relationship stories that I have ever played in a video game. Because it's not as simple as a Sins of the Father story, which it very easily could be. It is this <laughs> I mean, that's, genuine... That's every God of War game, if I'm being Exactly, honest. exactly. And that it's a genuine exploration of power and compassion and kindness and love and redemption. And it has an emotional depth to it that you almost never see in a video game. And the characters feel so real. And Kratos and Atreus have such grounded, organic chemistry that... Sometimes they're kind to each other, sometimes they're not, but they always feel like a real father and son. Yeah, seriously, seriously. And I'm I'm sure you did plenty of Wikipedia research on, on a little bit of back lore before you played this game. Do you know about Kratos? I mean, famously Kratos' family relationships with his past family? Oh, I mean, like, the thing that they explicitly talk about in this game, that he killed his old family? Well, I, I, I mean, yes, that is, like, the <laughs> linchpin of the entire franchise. That's the intro of the first game. But mm -hmm. the expanse of those games, of every game, his family is more or less used to manipulate and destroy him in a way that makes his very cold and distant fatherly presence so much more unbearable in like as you see the the gruff angry relationship they have at the beginning and knowing that he he wants nothing more than to love this boy and he does love this boy so much but he is just a broken sad horrible man he's had to like go to Elysium where it's all oh. it's like all nice and stuff he's got to like sure. ab literally abandon the soul of his murdered daughter again to get out of the last part of that game it's like it's it's so gut-wrenching and and that's what makes all of the stuff between him throughout the entire game every little boat conversation where you can feel him getting a little warmer towards him and a little more open learning how to tell a story which is a very funny bit throughout the entire game here it's it's incredible to see and it makes the performances in this just like make me tear up sometimes how how they react with each other well that's another thing i love in the end game is that there's so much even though the journey is over there's so much character stuff that pays off after you're done yeah with the actual yes. game that the first time kratos tells a joke is oh. way after you finish the main story. Yeah, that the humanity that is built by the end of that and how they I I want to know like the time difference between this one and the new one and the the relationship continuing between him and Atreus, how that maybe evolved or devolved after they they finish their quest in this game. I'm so curious to know how and that's going to so continue. Much messed up stuff that happens at the end that they're going to really oh need to process. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> It's gonna be a it's gonna be a strange one because I know I know the new one there's a there's a at least a small time jump because Atreus is a good bit older than he was in this one right which makes sense because I the the actor who's playing yes. Atreus is the same actor and I think he's really really good his name and I don't really know how to pronounce it is Sunny Sujlik Sujlik Sulik something like that one of those three <laughs> or another pronunciation <laughs> that is coming out of left field but, but yeah he is great he is great in this game. For how young he is, too, is he really is a remarkable. Boy. But the relationship between Kratos and Atreus 
would not evolve the way it does if it weren't for my number one guy uh, who is absolutely getting stomped like a melon <laughs> in God of War Ragnarok and it's going to break my heart. Uh, Mimir. Mimir, the the best, maybe what the best character in this. He's so incredibly funny and it's such a, like there have been weird severed head things in all of God of War, but just the, the companion who's just the head tied to your belt is incredible it's great yeah he's just literally bouncing off your butt (laughs) for three quarters of the game and he's sitting there talking to you with his one golden eye and he's funny he's he's weirdly one of the most human characters in the game despite being a severed head and the the seamless addition of lore into the world that even Kratos is so unaware of, even having have lived there for however long. It's it's masterfully written in in the canoe rides and in just like the regular rest of the game. Just the smallest snippets of lore and backstory, just like a word or two that he'll say that will will connect greater things is is so well done for what is ostensibly like a little Navi fairy from. Um, Ocarina of Time that just kind of follows you around for for companionship. He's just perfect. You were alluding to this before spoilers that Mimir's stories in the boat are something you never want to interrupt. It will literally just circle the Lake (laughs) of Nine waiting for him to be done so you can so you can dock peacefully and i think that's such a interesting and exciting addition to an open world game that's what i was mostly talking about earlier when i was referring to the ways that the traversal in this are so enjoyable because of your relationships with those characters and the way that they talk and when atreus is just sitting next to mimir's head in the boat <laughs> yeah Oh, it's so it's adorable. I want I want Atreus to start carrying Mimir in the second one. That's the thing, it's really cute because you have this like eleven year old boy who is on this journey with you, and obviously he's going through all of those typical, you know, prepubescent, angst ridden mm. journeys that are so relatable to us, even though we're we're not gods living in the pantheon, the realm of Norse mythology. But he also has these great relationships with all of these random folks who treat him like a boy in a in a in a in a more reverent and caring way than his own father does for most of the game. And we haven't even talked about Freya yet. We have not talked about Freya yet. That is the Kratos's relationships and his distrust of any form of deity, even though he himself is both a demigod and like an appointed god it's i i love seeing that with freya especially through the early parts of the game where he is just like desperate enough to just trust a random wood witch and i think part of that is because of her relationship with atreus she is kind to him she helps him and there are parts of the game especially towards the beginning where it feels like atreus trusts her more than he trusts kratos yeah oh 100 percent. that is more than likely like parallels to missing his mother figure and the i mean i would i want to know Wait, so are you badly saying, are you saying that she's <laughs> supposed to be the maternal figure in uh, this game? i know that might be shocking garrett i know that might be shocking video games aren't deep don't you remember they're not supposed to have themes okay and of course speaking of her motherly nature we have Balder, who is one of the most fascinating villains I've ever come across in a oh, video man. game because of his apathy 
Honestly, I think that that's what's so interesting about it is that he's just dying. Yeah, he, to feel he is anything. A chaos agent in this in this game. The I mean, it is so deeply disturbing and and upsetting when he's like pleading with Freya to, when revealing about certain curses that are keeping him unfeeling and alive. And he he's such an insane kind of character. It's it's so satisfying that Kratos such a serious. Dead, deadly serious character, especially about gods who are threatening to him. To see him go up against, like, basically his version of the Joker, who's just, I need death and I need something to feel, even if that's dancing around and being a chaotic whatever he is whatever he he is a fascinating villain for sure and honestly really fun to fight even though a lot of those fights are frustrating and i mean in in game having his regeneration and all that but genuinely some incredible fights there but the other thing that's nice about them is i never feel frustrated in that i'm like oh the game is frustrating me and that i don't no, want no, to no, do no, this no. combat anymore i feel frustrated for kratos and for the story and Ex- i think that exactly. that's very important important distinction to make. I feel frustrated with him the same way I feel frustrated with every single Resident Evil final boss who you need to fight like five times until you blow them up with a nuke or throw them into a volcano <laughs> or something. But, sure. but w- once you get through all that and it, the the final fights are just like oh, so so earned and satisfying. Yeah, he's great and and chaos like you were saying, you yes. know. He's like a Conor McGregor character. Like I guess he maybe it's the haircut that reminds me so much of that, but <laughs> It's his just like wild card energy. He's off, he's off the walls. And when he dies at the end of this game, it's not particularly surprising, but you really feel the weight of it between mm. his performance and how unkillable he's been in his boss fights and Mimir building up the myth of Balder and then finally, oh, yeah. of course, your relationship with Freya and the way that it's evolved over the course of the game. It all works so well. That's a great combination of gameplay, of story, of exposition, and of character all meeting and converging in this one climactic moment. And I think that's the great thing. It's not written like a film or a series. It's written like a video game. I think this is one of the first video games I've ever seen that's truly cracked the code of how to create the prestige video game narrative and i am very curious to see how much freya's revenge factors into the ragnarok storyline is it going to be the main focus is it going to be our opening to this game is it going to be the inciting incident because i mean we know thor's showing up we know that from the end of this oh yes we know odin's probably popping in for a (laughs) chat or two odin's pissed (laughs) so Like, Freya, in the grand scheme of things, despite being very important to those characters, doesn't seem like as much of a threat when we're talking about, you know, the true big bads of the the Norse pantheon, because we're only fighting, you know, Magni and Modi, the little little brothers, or are they the nephews of Thor? It's it's something like that, yeah. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie. (laughs) Exactly. It's exactly that (laughs) energy. Which I think is even funnier that it's Nolan North and Troy Baker, who are, <laughs> oh of course, God. famous brothers from another video game franchise. Oh, titans of their own industry, being the little <laughs> boys. 
And that feels like a hilarious in-joke <laughs> that makes them even funnier as these bumbling but still very threatening oh, yeah. kind of mini-bosses. Yeah, I, I for me, I think that in terms of Freya's Revenge, which is a funny subtitle for God of War. God of War, Freya's, Freya's Revenge. Revenge. Yeah, I think it's going to parallel a lot of things with Athena in the early games where she's not necessarily the big bad, but she's going to be more of like a rallying person to the bigger gods to be like, hey, you know this one guy who's just been kind of laying low here? He's actually going to maybe kill everyone because I've seen that he can. She'll get her head chopped off probably. I don't think she's going to, I don't think she's giving up anytime soon. But I also don't really think that Kratos would kill her. I think if she's going out, she's going out like Thor or Odin is is going to take care of business with that. Yeah, I yeah, maybe kill the messenger a little bit cuz she's in hot water with the with the bigger gods, isn't she? Oh, as we learned very famously from Mimir. Yes, in those canoe yes, rides. yes, yes. And uh so yeah, she, I don't know if she'll she'll make it past that or if she's going to get into some Odin prison trouble that she's going to be trapped in. I know that I can't wait to explore all the realms. Oh the next man. Game. I'm really hoping we get to unlock that full wheel there. Yes, and dude. go everywhere. I'm super excited for that. That was that was one thing about the open world, open game, whatever you want to call it, nature of this game is that it's it's so referenced so frequently of like this is a place where people would be if not for all the things happening. And I'm excited to see more of those regular people interactions with I totally. mean of course with Kratos, but definitely like you were saying with Atreus. He's such a conversational character. All the new little side characters that are just regular people unassociated with threat or adventure is going to be very fun to see. I also love that at the end of this game, you unlock two other basically complete, more arcadey hack and slash games in the form of Muspelheim and Niflheim, which are two very different gameplay styles, but they're still contributing to the work that you've been doing with your with your weapons proficiency and stuff over the course of the game, and they're essentially combat-oriented games. One, Muspelheim, which is literally just Mustafar. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Is climbing a tower of boss fights until you get to the Valkyrie at the top. That's where one of the Valkyries is. Yeah, um, I love that. Which we haven't even talked about the Valkyries yet, which are infamously difficult yeah insane to, to how, how many of those have you tackled do you do you think you're gonna oh, run the whole gauntlet i platinum oh game, you already platinum I, okay. I, I thought you were all of the valkyries i thought you were stuck on the valkyries my bad brother probably last time we talked about this you know oh when yeah I was maybe playing this game in january 2021 or whatever i was stuck on the Valkyries. yes i have beaten all the valkyries good good, flex, good but <laughs> i have i will be i will get there i will get there and then Niflheim, Niflheim, is a maze where there's a bunch of obstacles and, of course, things to fight. And you need to loot and loot and loot as much as you can before this mist kills you. Yeah, that that's and, a famous God of War franchise thing. Just throw you a couple weird arcade game modes at the end of the story for fun. I, I, I like that. I think it's fun, and I'm very curious to see if those will make a return in any capacity in Ragnarok, or if it's just like, oh, they're just like normal realms now. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm sad that there wasn't, so sometimes in the older ones at the end game, you would unlock those mini games, and then you would unlock like a, 
like an asset museum that you could just like walk around in and look at the the character models and stuff and things that got cut. I I wish they had something like that in this one, but I know that that's a little that's like an old school thing to do, I guess. Yeah, I was gonna say that's something I really miss in like Naughty Dog games used to have all the concept art galleries you can unlock. Yeah, and yeah. Behind the scenes featurettes that were produced. Oh, dude, yeah, those were the best. And Uncharted 4 has, like, the character models and stuff that you can zoom in and look at. But I would love to return to that kind of game making where there are essentially special features on the game disc that you can look at and play with. And uh, have you watched the Raising Kratos documentary Uh, on YouTube that's the whole feature-length film about making this game? I have not, but that sounds fascinating. It's really interesting. I've actually never finished it because I am am a bad bad (laughs) God of War fan, but... I started it, you know, when the hype train was first starting for God of War Ragnarok, and I was like, oh, I, I'm finally going to watch Raising Kratos, and I've never gone back to it. But it's really interesting. It's a good behind-the-scenes look at what's going on with game development, which is a very interesting profession to me, because it's not something that I have a particular amount of knowledge of, and game design as a whole, and, and that kind of programming is insane to me while it's still so similar to stuff that I do have a lot of familiarity with like filmmaking and so I think it's really interesting kind of seeing how that all works and how the experience that I really enjoy comes to be well I'm hoping that there's a little sprinkle of that in Ragnarok I don't know if I can I can count on that or anything but depending on whether or not this may or may not be the final entry for some characters maybe it is a little more of a farewell special that they could throw in there. I mean, do you think Ragnarok is going to be the wrap-up here, or do you think we're going to get uh, at least another one? I think that Ragnarok is going to resolve everything that was set up in 2018, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, just from the name alone, you don't say Ragnarok and then go ahead and make another, <laughs> you know, Norse entry in the franchise looking at you, Thor Love Ragnarok. and Thunder, yeah. <laughs> um, But it really is, I think, going to incorporate Odin and Thor and and the result of, of Freya's entire relationship and journey over the course of the first game. I think that probably the fact that Atreus is Loki is going to play a very big role in whatever's mm. going to happen going forward in Ragnarok. And while I don't necessarily know if Kratos will die the way he's been foreseen to when you get to Jotunheim, I do think that probably that is going to be addressed in this game whether Mm. or not it actually happens now could they go you know there's been a lot of rumors about them going to do it doing the egypt or whatever and i'm like this is an assassin's creed why not (laughs) i mean the way they set up ragnarok makes it seem like we might just jaunt on over there in this game so yeah i'm very interested to see where it goes i don't really know but i do think that this will wrap up the arc of everything set up in 2018 now where the franchise goes from there who's to say I mean, also, I I think back on God of War 2, where it was in, literally an entire game of build-up and set-up and gear acquisition to go face down Mount Olympus, and then the game ends as you start the confrontation. Like, it's, it's like, they, they've been known to throw some curveballs, and I know, again, that might be a little more of an old-school PS2 thing, but I don't know. They, I, I, I am so unsure of where they're going, just like you are, so I, I am very excited to see how that's gonna be coming on up here. I'm, I want to see those dimension-hopping 
theology hopping things that I are being teased here and maybe maybe Kratos will take a little jaunt on back over to the old ancient Greek world and see the chaos that he left over there. That would be really interesting although we do get echoes of that a little bit in this game where he sees Athena or he has visions when they're when True, they're yeah. in hell and so there there are some aspects of that but I would love to see him actually return to that world or I I don't think that a cliffhanger ending would be at all well received in in mm. this day and age in the yeah. in, in the next gen era because even in 2018 in this game's reception people were really mad that you didn't get to go to all the realms i remember that when that came even though i didn't play this game anywhere near when this came out i remember hearing about people being upset that oh you could see the realms on the map but you don't get to go there you know you gotta be patient man you gotta be patient Here's the thing, I could understand being upset about that if it felt like the story or gameplay was incomplete without those Yeah, things. I was going to say. I don't think it is. Right? Like, it's not like it's lacking right now. It would almost be bloated if they were just throwing in extra realms there. But there is a interesting subset of people that think that the longer a game is, the better it is. Like, if you can get... 500 hours of content out of the game that's inherently better than a game that takes 80 hours or yeah. <laughs> 120 hours or like i just i don't get that at all you know that about me that i'm not a open world just like just endlessly just, doing yeah. the thing yeah i i want my video games to be fun garrett and if they just are, are <laughs> not then what's the point you know and i think this game has a really good balance of that where i what is this probably like a 40 hour campaign mainline campaign Something like that, and then all of the insane amount of extras that you can do. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not lacking, like I was saying. I, I don't need there's more. There's dozens of hours of content, I feel like, after you finish the game. There's yeah. all the Valkyries. There's all the side quests. There's there's all, all going the back and finding the treasures portals, that you missed. The, the Odin yeah. Ravens, the artifacts, all of the stuff. There's plenty here to be mined, and I'm sure Ragnarok is going to be even bigger than this is. Oh, I seriously cannot wait. I'm very excited. I am very excited. This has gotten me more hyped. I love it when we talk on this show about something that's related to something that's upcoming and we just end up getting way more hyped for the <laughs> yeah. thing that's coming up. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how we're just gushing over the gameplay and now I'm thinking like, huh, a couple extra years of development and we're going to get something even better, probably. I'm, I'm so jazzed. A couple extra years of development and haptic feedback and oh dynamic my God. triggers. I cannot wait. That axe is going to knock the controller out of my hands. But I think we're wrapping it up for now. I'm sure me and you will talk a lot more about God of War and, and Ragnarok and all of that together in person. But I think for now, we should kick it on over to the reference this week. I completely agree. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the God of War Kratos voice actor change. Since the original God of War in 2005, the voice of Kratos has been recorded exclusively by T.C. Carson until his final role in the prequel game God of War Ascension in 2013. After the decision to reboot the series with God of War 2018, focusing on an entirely new direction for the character of Kratos, T.C. Carson was not asked to return to reprise his role or reached out to by Sony about the change. Instead, Christopher Judge was recast with full body motion capture in mind. T.C. Carson has since come out about his perspective on this impersonal recasting effort, calling it unceremonious and generally unprofessional. The production team asserts that the new actor Christopher Judge was chosen based on a variety of factors, including his height, 
and his chemistry with his in-game son, then 10-year-old Sonny Soljic. Judge continues to play Kratos in the new sequel, God of War Ragnarok, and it remains to be seen where the story and the character will go from here. Seamus, as somebody who's played the old games and the new game, what did this change mean to you? Do you think it was a wise choice? Do you, do you miss T.C. Carson in God of War 2018? I mean, I, if anything, I wish T.C. Carson got some kind of voice cameo or, or so, some kind of recognition in the, in the new one of sorts, but I think Christopher Judge is immaculate in this role, and it's hard to say that he doesn't embody the voice and the, the physicality of a tortured, older Kratos. The voice is a lot deeper and more subdued than most of his other lines in the originals. He screams a lot, this younger Kratos. He's very angry, as I'm sure you're aware. So I think I think the change wasn't necessarily a bad move in the character, but I just wish that T.C. Carson didn't get done dirty like that because he still is you know very iconic for those roles and for for very good reason because he's still incredible in them well i'm glad to get your insights as my resident early god of war franchise expert and by early i mean anything other than what is (laughs) the newest game in the franchise other than ragnarok yeah pretty much but should we move on to star noirs shamus Ooh, let's do it i'm excited Now it's time for Star Noirs, our weekly breakdown of Andor, the series on Disney+. This week, we're tackling episode 9, Nobody's Listening. And this is definitely not the episode that I thought we were getting this week, if I'm being honest. But I am not dissatisfied with what we got out here. It's another real big tension builder this week, and I am very tense. (laughs) I I don't know what to say. Everything is locked and loaded to explode yet again on this show with another massive event. And... It was honestly a lot darker of an episode, even with the... I I knew the stakes of what this space prison was like, but man, oh man, it, it, it got crazy in there. This is... This hour of Andor is the most adult Star Wars has ever been. Yeah? Even... Yes, seriously. Even, between the prison stuff and more of this beautiful Mon Mothma storyline that I am just getting sucked into and I did not realize was even going to be a major factor as much as it is in this show. It's 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 incredible television. And I think that's spoilers now. We're into it because there's nothing else to say. I don't think that is a deal. That's a deal because, man, yeah, okay, what do you want to start with? Old 99 in prison? Old 99 is getting... <laughs> Stroking out. That was the saddest thing in the world. Oh my god. Uh, I really like something about this show, which is old people are just old people and they have heart attacks and strokes, just like they're human beings, which Star Wars doesn't normally kind of do that stuff. No, yeah, it, it was it was just such a sad reality of having spent your life in a manual labor-based prison, and that's so sad. That's so upsetting. But I mean, it's it's also the driving one of the major driving forces in one of my new favorite Andor gang members. Andy Circus is on the team, baby. I can't believe it. That right? is such. Oh my god. A compelling hour of television, because last week we were just saying how we felt like Andy Serkis was going to oppose whatever kind of uprising there would be, and he seemed so stringent and so like, I'm just here to keep my head down and get my work done and and get out from my sentence. And to watch that character over the course of this episode completely 180 into, okay, let's go. Never more than 12, Never more Sheamus. than 12, dude. Oh my god. I can, I, if he gets fried next episode, I will, I will be very upset, Garrett. I will not be happy with that 
But I think well, there's a big chance. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. It, the the another uh, again with part of our boy Olfar Olfgar. What old ninety nine in the scene where he's having a stroke? Another just incredibly dark snippet of the world. It, there's again, there's so many of these really small things that make the empire and what they're doing so subtly shadow war like reality. And it's when the doctor turns to the guard and says, "I need a I need a body bag and a." cart to take this body and he says it's already coming like this man knew he already called for the damn body bag he was killing this old man no matter what i i was so saddened by that but that whole sequence was just heartbreaking until the very last second no more than 12 i was on my feet garrett i'm so ready for this prison break i am i'm really excited for what's about to happen in the prison and Everything that's been happening this episode was so well built up in there and so and so gut wrenching because you knew you knew the second we saw him the first time Andor walked into that prison that he wasn't probably making it out, old man. I mean, I had hope the whole time. They they have they're like showing more pieces of this inner prison network of like sign language and communication and, and you know, Andor's building like a tunnel in the bathroom or whatever, Shawshank style in the wall. And I was like, oh, maybe the old man, maybe the old man will sacrifice himself for the greater good, or maybe he'll get out and like, or like, be the linchpin of their plan to escape in some kind of way. But ah, oh, they he goes out so sad and, and realistic. It just broke my heart. And the the recidivism allegory with the second they let you out, you're just back. Oh in. my god, it's not real. It's all a lie. It's all. The cake is a lie. You the know? cake is a lie. It, it, truly, that that reveal sent actual shivers down my spine. When he's like, "Level four guy from level four got out, got put right back in level two, and when they freaked out, they just killed everyone." I that uh, this prison is one of my favorite spaces in any modern Star Wars thing right now, and I I'm so much looking forward to the prison break, but I almost wish that <laughs> we'd stay there longer. It's. Insane. It's remarkable how well this entire world is built and how well the story is told. And the thing that we've been talking about for years, Seamus, of wishing we could see the actual evils of the Empire, that might as well be the title yeah. of this episode. Oh my god, yeah, The evils seriously. of the Empire. Because, I mean, taking the sounds of screaming children... Oh my god, yeah, that being was the genocided. Darkest. And oh. using it as a tor- like a CIA style Dude. torture device on Bix. I mean, that is yeah, that was horrendous. That's the most evil thing ever done in Star Wars. Period. I think so. Like it's so ruthless. It is so upsetting. It almost makes me think lesser of like the giddy Imperial officer who's like, "Oh, I'd love to hang that guy. Can I please just hang this guy in the square?" Like that's so evil. But just off the back of the shrieks of Bix being tortured is just too much, man. That's too oh, yeah. much. It's it's the difference between Darth Vader just killing a guy because he feels like it and the systematic evil of torture and and mind manipulation and it's horrific. It's a it's a yeah, horror film. It truly and is. I hope that cheery doctor guy gets his head blown off by a blaster. I hope Bix puts a barrel on that man's head and blasts him. 
And it's another great example of they built this entire concept and world and torture method out of nothing. Like there's like there's nothing that it's not like they used the 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 Geonosian cries or some dumb thing like that. It's just like what if we just had this idea for a torture method that is in every way emblematic of the evils of the empire and I really like that he's very specific in the way that he clearly justifies it to his to himself is that he's like, there's nothing inherently physical about this torture. Yeah. And Jesus. that's such a That's that CIA eloquent, stuff, man. Yeah. It's it's an eloquent allegory for the way that real world institutions are able to dismiss cruel tactics by saying, Well, it's not, you know, it's not violent. Yeah, Jesus. It that I I hope we because we don't hear the actual audio of it, right? No, and they, I think they pulled a, a grizzly man choice. on us, and I love that. And I hope, I genuinely hope we never do hear that, because that is so upsetting, even in concept. I would, I, it's incredibly done. Just the the audio cue of the the earmuff headphones going over Bix's ears, mm-hmm. canceling everything out, and then just focusing, like isolating her audio. It was it was gut wrenching, truly. And what a great shot, too, of oh, yeah. starting wide and then pushing right into her eyes as she starts to scream. Jeez, yeah. That that was so, so well done. This this entire episode was incredible. And another thing that I do not want to forget about, a B story that I want an entire episode on, is Cyril is in love with Deidre now? Is and he's going, <sighs> like, we talked last week about how we feel like there's going to be some kind of violent outburst from him and that he's going like any amount of i mean he's still a very human character but any amount of sanity or level-headedness that we once saw in this pathetic little meek character is out the window and he's going full stalker full monster oh my god yeah it's scary it's very scary and very rooted, again, in the kind of real-life alienation that people of similar demographics in our world go through. Yeah, but, I mean, it's so... I Every single piece of serial content on this show is, like, always... It's such a... Always a curveball to me. I still don't know where this is gonna end up, because Deidre kind of had a weird look in her eye. Like, she was flattered in a way like she was obviously like get the hell out of here but like that level of attention i feel like i've never seen really brought to an imperial figure like that in in like this weird pseudo romantic obsessive way that she might use like against andor is she gonna you know chew this man up and throw him out or is she gonna start being charmed a little bit by this weird dedication and passion that he has to like (laughs) serving at her feet for this weird andor cause it's all about power I think it's all of like she likes the power of him. I mean, there's a reason she doesn't turn him in. I agree with you on that. Is that I mean, she could have him arrested like nothing, you know, and there's obviously some kind of game plan that she has and there's some kind of chess game that's going on as there is always always with these ISB characters. But I mean, there is a, through this whole episode, there's like three different scenes where like her male subordinates are like o- like almost over the top anticipating her needs and like doing the things that she needs before she can even say them and her like she has this satisfaction about her that her system is running so smoothly with all of these men that are below her on the totem pole just like absolutely 
just trying to get meet her expectations to the fullest. And I think it's a really interesting kind of journey that she's been on over the course of the series so far, where she goes from being this woman in a world of men that is constantly stepped over by the men mm. in her organization, to by more fully immersing herself into the very power structure that has thus far disenfranchised her, she is able to gain an upper hand, and not for women across the board, but specifically for her. You know, now those those same men are, you know, groveling at her feet, like you said. And it, I think, again, it, there this is where we're really kicking into the real-world commentary that's been present throughout the entire show, but the way that women are rewarded for playing more fully into misogynistic or inherently biased power systems mm. there's this newer relationship that we're seeing on screen with mon mothma and her cousin um vel vel yeah, which, is, which uh, is crazy yeah that's a curveball huh and there, but there's it makes this... so much sense now with the way that luthan who has been notably absent yes of he late, has yes he has um, the way that luthan interacted with her makes so much sense now that clarity is is crystal man yeah i i i want more of that now i'm always charmed by all the mon mothma stuff there's this gangster meetup on coruscant that they're they're prepping for her like money troubles which i'm very excited about and you know i i the the whole cousin angle is just a that's insane to me i i am i i fully expect that character is gonna die by the end of this season by the way vel i i i can't see her <laughs> making it out of this i think so too but i think not before she jeopardizes some kind of mission with her overall, how zealous she is mm, yeah. and how, what a wild card she ultimately is because she doesn't fit in anywhere. With as dark as this episode was, this is definitely the the end of act two, all is lost moment for this season <laughs> yes. of television. And going into the third act of this season, the last three episodes, 10, 11, 12, very curious to see where we're going. Yeah, I'm I'm fired up, dude. I cannot wait for Wednesday. Me either, and it's so much closer than it feels. Yes, yes, dude. But should we save the rec center, Seamus? Why don't we go save it? Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly rec recommendations. Seamus, what do you bring to the table this week? I revisited one of my childhood favorites this last weekend. I I just threw it on randomly because I have such fond memories of Stargate Garrett with Kurt Russell and James Spader, an absolute money grab, I guess, for the uh <laughs> money the the mummy Indiana Jones Star Wars things that that were flourishing in the late 90s and I I think it's it's still amazing. I, 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 it's so weirdly derivative of everything that I love in a hundred different ways. But it's so fun. Ancient Egypt stuff, ancient aliens. French Stewart is in the squad. He's there. He's fighting these guys. It's I forgot about French Stewart. <laughs> Don't you dare ever forget about French Stewart, Garrett. How dare you? But it's it's just a really fun time. I I love a young James Spader. Well, I love an any era James Spader, but I specifically like. I mean, it's truly it's just Atlantis. 
it's just the Disney animated movie Atlantis, but Egypt instead of Atlantis. But it's, it is it is that that but is. Yeah. Kurt Russell's there. He's depressed and stuff. He's on doing his you know his sad kid colonel died or something. Yeah, the, his kid shoots himself with Kurt Russell's gun accidentally, which right. is the craziest way to start that movie. <laughs> I mean, they don't show it or anything, but, like, he's, like, real sad and, like, looking at a picture of his son and, like, holding a gun, I think. It's... I remember, I remember the, the scene where they introduced <laughs> Kurt Russell. Two, I've only seen that movie once. Two, two dudes are like, you're reactivated, Colonel, and they're walking out and they go, what's wrong with him? And the other guy, the other guy goes, his kid died, and they drive off, and the credits start. It's it's insane. But it's very fun. I, I like it a lot. It's it's super goofy, and and the music is impeccable. It's, it's lovely. I think it's always fun when Kurt... Kurt Russell takes that turn because often in films he is the the kind of James Spader role in Stargate where he's the meek yeah like like glasses wearing nerds in <laughs> yes, over his yeah. head and like an executive decision, executive you know. decision I was just about to say and it's always fun when they put him in a buddy movie where he's the tough guy because he's so good at being the tough guy and th- things like this and Tango in Cash where Sly Stallone is the nerd for some reason. <laughs> Um, oh god. I think it's always fun to see him play not against type necessarily, but against, you know, the typical Kurt Russell role. Having rewatched it recently, my thoughts rewatching it were like this is his Sergeant Johnny Badass role, like how Wyatt Russell is in Overlord, where you're like, okay, like I know this character is can be a lot of different things. I know this actor has a lot of range, but he's kind of just like, all right, form up, we're moving in. He's like giving hand signals and like looking through binoculars, all serious. It's it's very it's very interesting. I will say that Wyatt Russell's character in Overlord has a little bit more of that Kurt Russell Snake Plissken charm That's to it. True. I feel like That's than his true. role in Stargate does. Yeah, yeah, because Kurt Russell's Stargate, he's still, like, kind of freaking out about, like, guns and stuff while he's there. It's really, it's real dark and weird, but I, I, he's got a great... It's really weird. Yeah, it really is, but I don't know. It's still, it's still totally amazing, and it's got me really interested in watching Stargate SG-1, because that, that might scratch some Firefly itch. Maybe James Spader will show back up. Some of the character, or some of the actors from Firefly are on that show. No way. Oh, all right, well, there it is. I'm watching Stargate SG-1. Uh, well, Kurt Russell is, of course, the ultimate badass, and how could I not follow that up by Rex Ettering Tombstone? (laughs) Oh, an ultimate badass role. A little Uh, more cutesy, I feel like he's so funny in that movie, but he really is a badass. That is a movie that I've not probably seen in ten years, and I love it. I love Kurt Russell, as we talk about constantly on this show. And I had not remembered how absolutely stacked that cast was. Obviously, I remember, you know, the famous, glorious, one of the greatest supporting performances of all time, Doc Holliday. Oh my at, god, yeah. Being played by Val Kilmer. But Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Michael Bean, I remembered all of them being there. Powers Booth, I remembered being there. I did not remember Stephen Lang and Billy Zane <laughs> and Thomas Hayden Church and insane uh, that's all insane. of these other michael rooker character actors that are all you know younger than they usually are in things that i <laughs> yeah. see them in billy bob is in one scene billy bob thornton wait is for in real one i totally i totally don't remember that and it's a very memorable scene too which is insane i remember the scene i just didn't remember billy bob being one of the guys in it it is 
one of the most interestingly structured movies I've ever seen. Ghost directed by Kurt Russell, mm. which I only found out recently. You and I talked about that, I think, when I found that out. Yeah, man. And it is just a... It has the pleasures of a classic Western and a revisionist Western at the same time. It's basically the first half is a classic Western, and then the second half gets into revisionist Western territory, I would say. Yeah, and it's it's seamless, too. It's just the most enjoyable modern cowboy flick. I guess modern, it's like 25 years old. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's, it's only, it's 30 years old. Oh, uh, it is, yeah, yeah. It is from 1993, so it, it's getting up there, but it doesn't feel as old as it is, that is for sure. And it is the greatest mustache movie of all time. I, I hands down prepared to make that claim. Yeah, I echoed this rec center wholeheartedly. It is incredible. I don't think there's any western I love as much, frankly, as I love Tombstone. Yeah, top of the pops for sure. That is the that is number one slot. Well, if you're looking for a great Kurt Russell double feature, has pop culture reference got you covered. <laughs> yeah, two very stra- that would be a strange double feature, but I would really <laughs> love to watch that. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. You can reach the show directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Give us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a rating. Anything that you can do really helps the show out. Next week, we will be covering... Oh, how is that possible? We will be covering Black Panther Wakanda forever. <laughs> oh my god, it's here already. Okay, alright, I gotta I gotta get ready. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. That'll be uh, a good time. Hopefully some of the early reviews were not great, but we'll find out, I guess. We sure will, man. This will be an interest- another interesting Marvel experience. Yes, it will. Well, I'm gonna go play some Dad of Boy, I think. <laughs> Dad of Boy is, is a great all title, too. Adios, boy.